Chris Frasky is a drummer in Explosions in the Sky, one of the most distinctive and important bands to come out of Texas in the last 15 years. Explosions began life in Austin in the late 90s, taking the lead from the instrumental rock bands that came to prominence during that decade and forging an emotive cinematic sound which has led them into a career in film scoring alongside their reputation as a powerful live band. Given the length of his band's career, Chris is well-placed to look back on the life and times of Fugazi, a band that rewrote the rules of independence and ethics in the music business. Not only were Fugazi part of the tapestry of Chris's high school life in Illinois, but he later shared a stage with them when explosions opened up for Fugazi during their final year of shows, closing the loop on a story of inspiration that he'd soon be repeating for a new generation of musicians in turn. My conversation with Chris centres on In On The Kill Taker, the record that solidified Fugazi's position as punk's most forthright and innovative band when it came out in 1993. But we also use the record as a starting point to look back on Chris's own musical beginnings and his experience in an ongoing collaboration with three friends that continues to unfold and evolve as the years go by. My guest today, my third guest, is Chris Frasky from Explosions in the Sky. Thanks for coming in, Chris. Thank you for having me. For my podcast, you picked In on the Kill Taker by Fugazi after we had a bit of back and forth about maybe doing some super chunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I sent you my list and you picked something off that. Mm-hmm. What, what stood out about that, that uh, record in particular? Well, it was just, it was one of those records that in the same way that the super chunk record I had talked about um it was one of those records that when it came out it was uh, myself and my friends were kind of just obsessed with it and it was this situation where we would it was at a time in my life where a regular thing was getting together with like when we're hanging out with friends whoever it was there's a core group of us where we would just sit and listen to records and listen to cds and stuff which is not something i do at all anymore like <laughs> with anyone and so uh, what were you I'm, I'm gonna guess that you were maybe a teenager right and that was that was 93 to, to this record out? came out 93 yeah but I'm, yeah so i was i was i was 19 yeah okay my close a close friend of mine who's still a close friend he worked at a store uh i guess this was must have been summer home from school because he was he wouldn't have been working there during the rest of the year, and he worked at a store called Media Play, which was owned by the Musicland chain. I don't know if you're familiar with Musicland. That was sort of the record store chain store that was in all the malls. Okay, Sam right. Goody Musicland. That right. was the okay. it was every mall in America had uh-huh. a Musicland, and they they had this one standalone store called Media Play. Happened to be in our my town of Rockford, Illinois. It was like their experimental test market store so it was like this giant store with cds and tapes and vhs movies and books and stuff and he worked there for the summer and when in on the kill taker came out he he bought us all copies i think he bought like five copies for himself for me and a couple of a few other friends and the next day he goes to work and he's called into the the back room by the manager and the manager shows him sits him down and says brent can you explain this and he shows him security camera footage of Brent buying the five CDs at the counter with his employee discount. And Brent was just, well, uh, yeah, I was just buying these 
CDs. And the manager then fired Brent for this. And I'm still not sure if the manager thought that he was buying them to then resell them. He couldn't understand why he was buying multiple copies. And he explained, well, I was getting them for friends. And the guy was like, well, you're not allowed to do that. And Brent was like, I'm not sure why I'm being fired. It seems like I, I mean, I didn't know that. So that's how I don't know why. That's just this weird idea of buying these Fugazi CDs at like this big kind of awful chain store and then being fired for it. It's a... So the irony is that he thought his employee was on the take, which is kind of what the record's about. Yes. About people in high places being in on the kill tape. Yes. And uh, in fact, he just wanted to spread the message of the music. Yeah. We all knew the record was coming out. This might have been the first... I think we kind of got into them between um, Steady Died and Nothing and, and on the... I think. Right. I feel like this was the first one where it was like, man, this is coming out. Yeah. We have to get this the mm-hmm. day it comes out. I guess Steady Died and Nothing was, what, 91? Yeah. And that's right. kind of like, you know, now remembered as the year that punk broke. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, never mind coming out. I guess more and more kids were just... Their ears were open to... Mm-hmm. To to bands like this, mm-hmm. so when it's another two years and you've been listening to this stuff for two years and you're invested in what's going to happen, mm-hmm. um, the next record is the important one, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you said you grew up in in Illinois, right? Yeah, a town called Rockford, which is about sixty miles northwest of Chicago. It's okay. home of a cheap trick. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a so big there's, claim some, to fame. there's some some rock lore. There's some rock in, in rock the legends in in the Rockford uh, area. Nice. Were you playing in bands at this point? Yeah, I was playing in bands with this guy, Brent, who was fired, and some other friends. And um, I've been playing in bands since, I guess, since high school with these same, mm-hmm. these same guys, like early high school on. And that's just, uh, how old are you at the beginning of high school? Like 13? 14. I entered high school in 88. So yeah, I'd been 14. Okay, so you, I'm interested in the idea of what kind of bands you were playing in, like... In 88, what the, what the vibe was? You know, I, I wish I could say, like, in 88, I was like, well, you know, I got into Fugazi because I was listening to Minor Threat and all this stuff. But I, in 88, I was just listening to garbage. I mean, like, <laughs> garbage. I mean, we, my friends and I, we were always fairly obsessive about music. So there was a time when we were really into, this was more middle school and kind of leading into a bit of high school where we were into, like, a lot of like really bad metal, but like really bad, like pop metal, like hair metal stuff. Mm-hmm. But we would go deep into it. It wasn't just like the big guys. Like we would seek out these weird like British hair metal bands. Like there, what was there was a couple. These British bands were sort of influenced by all this L.A. garbage. And yeah. uh, what were some of the bands? But just bands no one's ever heard of, like Pretty Boy Floyd, who <laughs> are just like right. this poison ripoff band. But like, it's like we went deep into that stuff. We would immerse ourselves in whatever mm. stuff we were listening to. And that just makes me think how quickly things happen when you're young. Where in 88, you're listening to the worst music imaginable. And then a few years later, you're listening to, like, really, really interesting stuff. And mm. just how those shifts happen so yeah. quick when you're young. Part of the idea of this podcast is is getting stories and people from this time. Mm-hmm. And I'm always asking the question, what is it about this time that may have led you into music or down a particular avenue? And I wonder if, like, 
Nirvana breaking on radio and that sort of punk thing coming overground must have been a big deal yeah in the way that the sex pistols was mm-hmm. in the uk like 15 years earlier you know there's something in the air and like people are they're looking for something that's sure that's a bit that's got more depth but yeah you're right if your ears are open at whatever age it can certainly draw you down different like paths mm-hmm. um, when I was 13, I listened exclusively to Simple Minds. That was the only band I was interested yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have probably found hair metal quite progressive in... <laughs> not compared to Simple Minds, but just as sort of culturally, that would have been very, sure. very different. But I can imagine growing up in like suburban Illinois, you listened to metal and... That was that was what people were into, yeah. Like, you've seen that, uh, is it heavy metal parking lot, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. kind of vibe yeah there was that sort of vibe in, in Rockford it was it's a pretty like sort of working class town and you know there were pockets of kids listening to punk and stuff and you know we started befriending like skater kids who were kind of always a little bit ahead of the curve mm-hmm. in terms of listening to interesting stuff and I think those relationships sort of started broadening what we were listening to and did it have an impact on the music that you were doing in the band yeah i mean we we played together for a long time even in through college like on summer breaks we would play and just the span of where we started in early high school or late middle school even of just playing like cinderella covers or something into you know once we started really getting into music like I said we just would dive in and it just expanded and we would kind of shift like one year we would have a very sort of almost yeah like a DC sort of post-hardcore influence and then we started getting into Guided by Voices and 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 more lo-fi stuff but then at the same time getting into older like psychedelic stuff so then it just became crazy like we were kind of shifting constantly as we were forming yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to be able to do that. I mean, obviously, there are some bands that start off as kids and kind of carry on and keep going and have a career. Um, I guess most people end up drifting away from those kind of people. Mm-hmm. What was your path from there? You mentioned you were at college. Where did you go to college? I went to a college in Iowa called Drake University in mm-hmm. Des Moines. And the guys I played music with, Brent and my other friend, Kurt, they both stayed in Illinois they ended up both going to school in Chicago. Mm. But in the summers, I would live in Chicago and we would play shows in Chicago and stuff. But, but we never toured or, you know, we kind of pressed our own 12-inch oh, and right. stuff. But it was never, you know, we wanted it to be something that would go somewhere. But it never, you know, it just it didn't really happen. Yeah, yeah. It's a familiar story. Yeah. This is presumably like running through the sort of mid to late 90s. What brought you down to Austin? Uh, I came down to Austin in 99 to go to graduate school at, at UT. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it was more just like I felt a little like I needed some sort of shakeup in my life to some extent. I would, you know, so I was in Chicago and I wasn't unhappy, but I wasn't like, I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. So it's like I need to. New direction drastic change so mm. I, I moved down here and have been here ever since yeah right I'm thinking about you know this record in particular you know obviously Fugazi are kind of a it's an idea it's mm-hmm. a kind of it's a political idea as much as anything mm-hmm. did you aspire to like 
being a band like that, or at least just being a band that kind of had an impact beyond what you were doing? I guess you kind of answered that with, you know, you were just sort of playing with your friends and hoping it would amount to something. Was there a point where you thought, no, I want to do more than this, I want to find a band and, like... Maybe, you know, in, in sort of daydream scenarios, even once we started Explosions, it was still just sort of like, this will be fun, this is a... I like these guys and we'll just play some shows in Austin. It was never, we never had the intention of, oh yeah, 15 years later, we'll have done all these things. <laughs> yeah. So no, it never really, you know, once stuff started with explosions, it was like, oh, we can actually, you know, we got more active in terms of pursuing things, but it was never, um, and in, in terms of Fugazi, like you're just saying, they're, they're this kind of idea almost. And that has always been something that's been appealing I think I'd mentioned this in an email. I feel like a lot of times, like the the actual music is sort of glossed yeah, over sure. in some way, which is crazy to me because they. I think they're one of the more interesting bands ever. I mean, and 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 so separate from even like other discord bands mm-hmm. and other, they're just so unique and so kind of hard to describe. Yeah. Like I wouldn't really know how to describe Fugazi's music to someone. Like it's not like an easy. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Well, I just remember back to a time when I was playing in a band and people would say, oh, you've got a little bit of that Fugazi thing and that, that would just give me a bit of a glow. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd think, oh, have we? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, a band that are hard to imitate, really. Yeah, Fugazi. very much so. And many have tried and it's like there's so many different elements that make up their songs that it's like, like well, yes, their music is aggressive, but it's never, it's also very like, nuanced and and it's like masculine but not in like a in on the kill taker there's like hand claps and geese like whoos and like all that sort of like soul music influence that's in there and just the bass lines and the grooves and they're just i don't know there it's a yeah. hard band to describe really being a bass player i always have to well I, i'm i'm always listening consciously or unconsciously to, to what the bass is doing and when i sort of spent a bit of time specifically with this record because, you know, we, we did talk over email and at one point I was saying it's hard to pick a favourite Fugazi record because mm-hmm. it's not like they have one standout record or on any record there's a standout song. It's yeah, kind of they, like, it's a discourse that they do and they, mm-hmm. do, they just carry on in the same, you know, doing variations of it. But this record, I remember at some point writing down something like the bassist doing all the work in the, in the song and then I listened back and realised that it was happening all down this record and probably for the whole band. Mm-hmm. You know, the guitars might be in quite a static place. Mm-hmm. The bass is playing chords and, like, doing the melodic movements and stuff. Yeah. And I think this is why, one of the reasons, like, Fugazi, they're such an important band in the context of DC hardcore and the 90s and what came next. Like you say, they're, they're a punk band. You hear the aggression in it, but it's not macho and it's Mm -mm. they're this big signpost between that kind of straight edge sort of knucklehead thing yeah and and really things like slint and yeah this might be a good time to pick one track off this record uh returning the screw Mm -hmm. which i hear a bit of slint in sure well let's talk about that after we listen to to this
introduced that song by talking about Slint and while it was playing we were talking about how Fugazi kind of the message of Fugazi's music especially at this time is kind of almost being spread down into the audience to people who've grown up listening to like straight edge and hardcore and saying there's a whole other world of like musical discovery out there mm-hmm. it's okay to do it you know, yeah it's like, like you know it's, it's exactly in a very rigid genre like to suddenly say no that's there's you can like all sorts of things yeah and, and i can imagine that for some people it would have been like literally like a an on switch mm-hmm. like oh we can do this for a lot of people it wouldn't have been as like a light bulb moment but I, I guess it was for some people and you know what comes next after this record for fugazi is even more kind of strange in a way isn't it you played with fugazi that was something i was going to mm-hmm. bring up that was later obviously but how did that come about it was in it was in 2002 so we had just put our second record out and it was in houston and we the houston promoter had seen us and we had kind of be i don't remember if we'd become friendly with him but i mean i guess he had seen us play and mm. he called us up or emailed us and said if you guys aren't on tour at the time you know fugazi's playing this date and they were only doing uh, Texas shows. It was like so. After their argument came out, if, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, they didn't really do a whole lot of touring. They did a few Texas shows, though, which I'm probably wrong about this, but I think those were their last non-DC shows. Right. Were these four Texas shows? They did two in Austin, one in Dallas, and one in Houston. Were they were they big shows? What were the venues? It was big. I mean, it was in Houston. It was this. What was the place called? It was as Fugazi often would play as they got, it wasn't like yeah. a normal music venue. It was some other weird, but it was giant. It, I think it was called the Intercontinental Ballroom. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was just a gutted grocery store, old grocery store that was in kind of a bad area of town, as I remember. Um, not really near anything. It was just sort of in an industrial wasteland. But it was a big show. You know, it was 3,500 people, you know, and wow. they were playing huge shows at that mm. point. And uh, yeah, so we did this show with them and it was crazy. And, you know, then being able to sort of sit side stage and watch them and have a little bit of interaction yeah, with sure. them was... Because I read somewhere that like um, Ian McKay, he makes a point of watching every support band. Mm-hmm. Did did you notice that? Or did that happen? Yeah, I mean, we you could see off to the side that Ian McKay and Brendan Canty were watching. And when we were done, like as we're taking her gear down Brendan Candy came up to us and said he thought it was beautiful and really liked it and that was just kind of like a <laughs> a crazy thing and then yeah. you know at the end of the night Manoff went in and to the back room and Ian McKay sitting there with a pile of money and he's handing yeah. out his money to Manoff and like asking if everything went all right and it was just like yeah, he's, there's there he is counting the money and like he taking charge of the situation. Wow, it's like an alternative history of punk rock and everything that came out of punk rock should have been really though, mm-hmm. right. I mean, with the best intentions of the world, I've toured a lot over the years. I'm sure you have. I can't imagine the idea of watching every support band that I played with. You oh know, my god, that yes. that you would dedicate yourself to it in that detail. Yeah, I it's, don't. It's <laughs> there's no way. There's no way. It's a uh, you could you understand why why people you know why this band is so important to people because mm-hmm. they lived it. They whatever the intentions they had as kids making music, starting Minor Threat, they 
carried that through. I carried it on into for a long time, and you know, and you know, the things I read, and I don't know if it that they basically kind of stopped because they just they couldn't like touring just wasn't feasible for them anymore. But they didn't want to start because you know what this this place we played, they had to rent the PA, they had to rent the security. There was no venue. It was they were covering all the expenses, and you know, you're paying five bucks a head. It's a big show, but at the same time, it's from what I read, they just they just wasn't feasible for them to continue. But they don't want it. They were like, we're not going to change. We're not going to start yeah. charging ten bucks. Well, how, how that's it. If you start having kids, mm-hmm. and you know, I know what that feels like to be back on the road, and your brain's maybe not totally in it for mm-hmm. whatever reason. You know, you get older. You're not. You don't have that same like fire about doing it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to compromise and do three quarters of the amount of like exactly. energy and fire and passion yeah. then you've got to stop and and no, that's what they did so at that time yeah that was t- 2000 argument that's pretty much the end of them it was kind of as far as i know that was they may have done some benefit shows in dc after but i i think that was again i could be totally wrong on this but i feel like i remember reading or knowing that that was their last mm. like they didn't really play shows after that. They did these Texas shows, and that was kind of it. I wonder uh, if you think there's anything in this idea that I had listening through. We talked a bit of, well, I mentioned Slint. We didn't talk specifically about Slint. I'm sure you you must have played with bands that if they weren't Slint, they were kind of in that mold mm-hmm. over the years. That obviously came after that era of grunge and sort of the tail end of punk. Do you think that, that Fugazi were one of the bands that opened sort of music up into a more kind of abstract? I think of Fugazi as, you know, we mentioned the politics. There's no, like, front man, mm-hmm. even though, of course, it is Imakai, but there's a democracy within the band. But the next step for a democracy in a band is kind of like not to have a singer at all. Mm-hmm. And you obviously have been in a band that did quite well with that, <laughs> that yeah. idea. Yeah. Do you think Fugazi were one of the bands that, like, opened that up? for bands or not i mean i know they did for me personally and i, I you know just in terms of we were talking about the song sweet and low like the, the instrumental track on this record and, and it's it's gorgeous it's yeah. beautiful and it's so simple and surprising because it's very melodic it's just a sweet and low is kind of the perfect name for that song in a yeah. lot of ways and so the idea of sort of this mixing of aggression with this real beauty was big for me and I think big for the other guys in the band. But like you said, the idea of it being sort of a, a democracy where every, the personalities are present of, like you can't imagine Fugazi without Brendan Canty. Like no. the, his style of drumming is so specifically him. Each one of those guys, is, it's so specifically them. And so unique to them that I, I feel like that idea of a band of four personalities kind of coming together as opposed to, okay, here's a guy playing and it could conceivably interchangeable guys yeah. behind him. And I think that's kind of what a lot of like bands I started to listen to sort of, I sort of felt that way about where you'd get, oh, this is how this guy plays drums, and this is, how, this is how these four people or five people or three people are coming together to create this unique thing. So It's almost like a bit kind of two-dimensional, the way people look back at Fugazi. You know, they're mm-hmm. the discord band. Yeah. And they 
charge five dollars. They were the straight edge band. Yeah. And the records tell a different story, or they tell the whole story that the the two dimensional version doesn't. That they were. It seems so such an important kind of crossroads in terms of what happened to to indie in inverted commas music mm-hmm. to DIY you know music that after Fugazi you can kind of do anything you know yeah. you don't yeah. have to have a, you don't even have to have a singer yeah. you can't imagine Fugazi without a singer because the words and the vocals the, are yeah, so important so important yeah but the fact that you played in explosions with Fugazi mm-hmm. and that's not a jarring thing to have seen in the year yeah. 2002 yeah means that they put in the groundwork I think yeah I mean and again that's that where they're extremely accessible and they're also pretty experimental and that's just a combination that when it's done right is kind of always works for me that's kind of what I'm always looking for and music is something that's that can immediately grab you but also is this is not where I would think that this would go and yeah. and they were they were kind of geniuses at that yeah um, I am going to play Sweet and Low. I'm not going to play it now because I think it's like, didn't they always sort of do it at the end of their shows? We should do it at the end. Yeah, would, that the would, end. they would often close with that. <laughs> yeah. Which again, that's awesome. Because a lot of times at Fugazi shows, and I'd seen them a number of times, um, no offense to anyone, but they'd have a lot of meatheads at the show. And like, which was always weird to me. They, yeah, they're a phenomenon in some sense that everyone's just going. All the kids are going. And like, there's just, dudes there and it's like there's no way that you can't like this music this music is too weird like you really like no i get but you're kicking people around and moshing which then of course fugazi would stop and scold them but uh (laughs) stop that that was that was always what was so interesting is that they had that fan base to some extent because it was in that transition of where people you know, it opened up all these other, where years later people were listening to all sorts of crazy stuff. But yeah, that was always just, it was so strange watching them play live and seeing like aggressive dudes, just like big, tough guy. And it's like, this is music is, you can't, do you actually listen to this at home? <laughs> yeah, right. I imagine, I never saw Fugazi, even mm-hmm. later. Um, I would imagine that this was the frustration of being a band out of this seen in the late mm-hmm. 80s that you know and you only have to read get in the van you know and to see like how crazy and how much chaos was at those shows and, yeah and how like mindless some of the <laughs> yeah. some of the element that would turn up that the only way forward is to take a moment take stock and just kind of go we can't keep writing these like on this beat we need to like write music that people can hear what's going on in yeah and reflect on as much as like jump up and down. Yeah. Having said that, I wanted to play off this record one of the more upbeat numbers. I was going to go with Great Cop, which is kind of like seen as maybe even like one of the big Fugazi songs, right? Yeah, it's kind of... It'd be on the hits if there was one. Yeah. So um, I'm going to have a quick listen to Great Cop. Yeah. 
And I had this with lots of bands that had two singers where I, I couldn't separate them. I don't know why that is. I guess I was listening to the words or the, or the, the bass guitar or something. And mm-hmm. like, it still takes me a while to unpick sometimes on bands where they've got two singers. Like who's, 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 doing, who's doing what? They've both got a very particular tone. Mm-hmm. I think of it as like a head voice. When I was listening today, it's like, it sounds like a head voice. You know, I've had like vocal warm-up kind of lessons and things and they always say you know try and go from your abdomen bring the voice from there try not to sing like from your throat these both of these guys in this band totally sing from the throat yeah, I think. yeah. and that's why these chants that are so important in Fugazi's music you make a great cop is an obvious one and on this record the other one that stands out they're so good at you know these little slogans we need an instrument from instrument we need an instrument mm. you know You've got to sing those from the throat because it's like, ah, your mouth is open. (laughs) I mean, that's the hardcore part. Like, it's just this. And that's what you were saying just before about, like, they had this knack with that feel that they'd had from the beginning, obviously. Yeah, they they were able to sort of, as interesting and nuanced and experimental and crazy ideas and interesting tangents that they would do, they were also just... And Great Cop is the example of that when they wanted to just smash you in the face, they could do it better than anyone. And not, and and it still never felt like dumb. It still felt like, I mean, I, I find that the last bit of that song just like thrilling. Every time I hear it, I get goosebumps. It's so like exciting and so triumphant sounding. Yeah, you're talking about that little rest in the middle of the song, mm-hmm. right? and and then watch. kicking back in, and then that sort of does the the pattern kind of changes at the end and it's just like every time I hear it I'm like oh my god this you're song. still 19 you're still 19 yeah. oh it like... still gets me every time it's like that's what I want out of music like I they're kind of the perfect band in a lot of ways when I listen to these songs and we talk about what those shows were like and what the audience were like the craft of being able to unify 3,000 people in a room which is what they were doing by yeah. the end these guys knew how to write something that would get every voice in that room like mm-hmm. singing mm-hmm. and that's the great skill of rock and roll full yeah. stop whether or not you're singing about the five corporations or mm-hmm. or um you know just really dumb stuff yeah you yeah know, it's if you get people just feeling like they're in a unified moment yeah. and i think you know and that's really give, hard there's yeah. a very few bands you're ever right. that have really done that I mean, without wanting to embarrass you, I think Explosions did that in a different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I played some shows with Broken Social Scene, and every time you went in the audience in, in a Broken Social Scene show, you felt like you were on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, there were 20 people on stage, mm-hmm. or maybe just six. Yeah. But you felt you were on stage with them, and I think that's how you felt in a Fugazi audience. You felt like you were part of the band in a way. Yeah, I mean, it didn't... It. I mean, because they were so clearly into it and they were taking it, that band will not do anything half-assed. They're going to play and, like, they're going to make sure... I mean, they were showmen in a lot of ways. Like, they were not, like... I think in in the instrument, in the movie, I feel like there's parts where Ian MacKay or Gee or someone, they're talking about, you know, 
music they love and they're talking about like James Brown and mm-hmm. stuff like that and like they I mean they kind of had that sort of showmanship to them you know doing flip gee hanging off a basketball mm-hmm. hoop and Ian McKay running around and I mean they were performers and 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 exciting ones and like it felt real and the energy was just incredible I think people feed off of that yeah and I think you have to have that like to genuinely include everyone in the room you're you also need to have their attention Mm -hmm. so you know i could list a handful of bands where and and they would be vastly different in terms of the music they actually make and i mentioned broken social scene for me a band that you're just kind of magnetized to what's going on on stage and you feel sort of part of it there's this sort of constant communication Mm -hmm. between band and an audience and i think you can go very abstract to a band like mogwai where again no singer or there are vocals, but they're, you know, sort of on a vocoder and like yeah, Barry's at the back of the yeah. stage doing it or whatever, but it's sort of magnificent in the scope of it. Mm-hmm. And I think Fugazi are just one of those bands, their background is hardcore, but they can still unify a room that big, you know, yeah, what they yeah, do. Yeah, it's amazing. of it mm-hmm. how much of that was maybe not your bag when it came to the band and how much was it like uh, this is important 
to inform what they do. It was definitely a part of it. I mean, there are plenty of other political punk bands that I just didn't listen to because I just didn't think they were very good. Well, that probably counts a lot of bands, doesn't it? The yeah, exactly. It was just first. The, yeah, like, I ultimately I need to be drawn to the music. But no, I mean, their whole style of doing things was, you can't help but like it. I mean, you can't help but be drawn to that and be drawn to their integrity and how they went about doing things. But then one thing I really liked about the instrument movie, I think the main point of that movie to me was to sort of like humanize them to some extent to sort of show that, look, there's a sense of humor here. It is not this monolithic thing. Like there is some, you know, it's not dogmatic about anything. I mean, they they take their stance, but I never really necessarily felt like there was like a judgment. It was just, this is how we choose to do things. It's not the only way to do things. You know, not many bands, I mean, you know, if they got back together now, they could play, I don't know. Arenas. They would be playing big shows. I mean, they're, they're a legendary band and I, I don't know if kids listen to them now. I hope they do. Uh, <laughs> should i mean it's the music doesn't feel dated to me but no it was it was never the politics stuff it made me to be honest you'd listen to it and you'd feel a little like somehow proud of yourself you're like yeah i'm i'm you know it was like i'm doing my i'm doing my part like i'm just listening to this band really (laughs) i don't know if i'm really helping the situation but that that stuff was it definitely was part of it it made you feel good about them in some way it's kind of what we were talking about just before which is like breaking down the barriers between the audience and the band and the logic of the politics is really not really like a big even though in in the lyrics there are big kind of ideas written as slogans but it's mm-hmm. it's just common sense really isn't mm-hmm. it that's that's the thing you should deal with people how you would want to be dealt with yeah that's the real ethos of fugazi and it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Exactly. It w- their politics wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, certainly they did go into issues and mm-hmm. things like that, but that's not, re- it wasn't like, you know, Coldplay singing a song about some sort of something or another. It was, it was well, like no. you said, it's exactly, it's not, you do, it's their, how they live their lives and how, or, or at least how they conducted themselves as yeah. a band. Like, yeah, simplifying it in some way. It just doesn't feel like it's conceited. It just, yeah, it's just this is how you get up every day, and, yeah. and this is how you should act. You know, so it's like the personal experience. Exactly, is yeah. how you hold yourself. You just scale it up, and that's why people connect to it because you're in the audience absorbing that, and you know, some of it might be being told to stop, like moshing. Yeah, but but there's a connection being made. Like it is a, it's a it's a conversation, isn't it? Exactly, it's a conversation, and like you said, there's there's no there's no pretension to it or self-righteousness on their part at least it didn't seem that way it was just if there was someone being a, a jerk in the audience they are going to stop and call this person out There's and a, like they will stop the show several times like i've seen it happen and like stop kicking people like yeah i've done that in in shows but it's obviously the thing about fugazi is like they lived it and it was how they all felt and there was no kind of ambiguity about mm-hmm. the moment when it happened. You knew the show would stop. Yeah. Whereas I've been, I've played so many shows where like you can see something happening and yeah. I'm really sure what's going on, but you don't want to ruin the whole. Like, do I stop? Song do, it, for, do it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> they would. They'll ruin the whole song. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I, you know, I love that. As, yeah, as, yeah. As as a listener, that's the ultimate thing, I suppose, with bands like Fugazi. 
is not trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. It's like, this is who we are. Yeah. It's not a magic trick. Yeah. We play music. I don't buy into that whole thing of like the magic moment happening on stage. You know, you're just people playing your music. Mm-hmm. As audience, if you hear a song stop, it means it's not a planned moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you suddenly you hear the humanity. And exactly. Like on. that's, like you said, it's the conversation. Even if they're scolding someone, it's like... No, they're part of this. This is they're not just this wall of blank faces. It's yeah. like the they are paying attention to you as well. And like it's the same reason that I sort of switch off when I can tell there's a like a backing track going with a band or mm-hmm. I mean, you know, obviously there are so many different kinds of music that require different things, but you know, you go and see a band and you can hear all this stuff happening where like, who's doing it? There's no one doing that. Oh, they yeah. <laughs> It immediately just puts like this kind of invisible barrier between yeah, what's actually happening. Yeah. I will start thinking about like, oh, they're really having to concentrate because whatever they have, the you know, they're it might be a click or something. exactly they're playing. And I don't, I, I don't like feel like mad or something at the back. I understand why I'm doing it, but yeah, it has this, you know, the Fugazi lot. Their shows, it, they were these swirling mess of and not in a mess in terms of they weren't together because that band was tight and could i mean they were just they could play but it it felt like yes anything could happen they might stop they might he might start crawling across but not in like a dumb eddie vetter kind of way like which (laughs) you know where it was like you're gonna do that because there's a camera watching you and stuff but um well that's a whole other story that the eddie vetter story and i've seen that documentary where eddie he sees himself in that way, isn't it? like a DIY guy trying to be mm-hmm. spontaneous. But yeah, there's always like a line between it being constructed and it just being like a natural yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, and um, again, nothing against Eddie Vedder. He seems like a fine gentleman. <laughs> nothing against him except his music. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, not a, not a, not a huge fan. Um, I guess that's how punk played out for a certain generation of kids. A lot of the Fugazi live shows are on, on the internet. Yeah, that archive, yeah. I know somebody chopped up all the like moments where like they're addressing the crowd. Yeah. And, like, there was a little bit of lecturing involved, you know, just you're trying to educate people, maybe not getting it. That's all there on the internet, isn't it? But it is. But what's amazing about that stuff is a lot of that stuff is it's actually really funny. Mm. I think in instrument they show like the classic one where they're talking where he's like i saw you outside eating ice cream earlier and just like you you're being all tough in here but i saw you i saw you eating ice cream outside i mean they were funny about it it wasn't just like they were scolding someone but they were able to sort of make it somehow even worse for the person really because they they were kind of making fun of them in a very funny way like those things are worth listening because a lot of times they're they're kind of funny like they're funny guys I'm not going to play them on here, but I urge you, I might put a link to the Fugazi monologues because uh, it's like a, a performance in itself. Yeah, it's it? good stuff. When you analyse all this stuff, as we have and, and I, you know, I did in my notes, what you come back to is just, it's just a band being honest. It's just mm-hmm. them being themselves. They happen to be kind of quite righteous, but not self-righteous. You know, they're righteous people. They're, it's a righteous band, mm-hmm. but it's just them being them and... And so, again, you see that in Instrument, which I'll try and put a link to. It's, it's, you watch Instrument, you see like, the story of Fugazi and like, yeah. how they were as, as people. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it's just a band being honest, and I think that's... If you're going to start a band for any reason, 
that's as good as reason as any, isn't it? Absolutely. It never got ruined. It just never, you know what I mean? It never, even in ruin is too strong of a word, but like a lot of bands where it's like, oh, that I love, it's like, there's always something that's like, I don't know. That's, it almost maybe went away at the right time. And, and, you know, they always talk about, well, we're not broken up. We're just, you know, we still talk to each other all the time. Yes. We still consider ourselves a band. I mean, I don't think they're ever going to do anything again, but. Uh, well, I, I was going to ask you that question, actually. Would Fugazi, can they do anything? They're not broken up, and they still kind of, they're a phenomenon in people's minds that hasn't been, there's no, like, period on it. Yeah. But all the same, you don't see them really doing shows again. No, probably not. And I feel like if they did decide to do another record or do show, like, there, you know, I think there would be a lot of people skeptical, like, oh, what's this going to be like? But I have faith that Fugazi would be the type of band where if they got together and started writing new music and were like, eh, they would know. You know what right, I mean? They're, right. they're, there's no way they'd put something out and it would just be like, yeah, they shouldn't have done this. They, I feel like they are self-aware enough to know, yeah, this isn't good. We, that's not what we do anymore together. Mm -hmm. But equally, you know, it would be them. It would just be honest because you just do. They've clearly done the instinctive thing. Mm -hmm. the yeah. So whatever would be the right thing would be the right thing. Yeah. Explosion in the sky. That's been going how long now? This is our sixteenth year. Right. Ninety nine. We started. Wait. Yeah. Ninety nine. Okay. So that's a long time to be in a band. It's a mm -hmm. long time to uh, still be thinking about making records and doing stuff. I mean, obviously, you've kind of diversified how you put out music. Mm -hmm which I think has been great for you guys. How does it feel coming up to that long being in a band? And I know that you're working on a record. Mm -hmm. Where do you go after that kind of length of time? Are you just trying to be honest to the band you are? What's the way forward? Yeah, I don't think we've ever felt like comfortable or satisfied like, oh, we got this. Like we're gonna. We we know. Like I, it's all. Like right now, I, we were going to record the new record next week, and like we all feel kind of terrified about it. Like I don't. Is this gonna be good? Like I, I. We just always feel unsettled about what we're doing, and in some ways, kind of skeptical, <laughs> even though we're excited, which I think is ultimately a good thing. I feel like we're confident about what we do, but like... I haven't got it down We yet. haven't got it down yet. I personally don't feel like we've, we've gotten close, but we just haven't quite, we're not, we haven't quite gotten to where I, what I want this to be or what we, we, I think we could be, which I think ultimately is a good thing. Like, yeah. I don't mind listening to older stuff of ours and just being like, oh, uh, people like that like I was I, this morning my wife was working in her office and she had Pandora on or whatever and a song of ours from the first record came up and it was just like oh my god like and I probably hadn't heard it in 12 years or something and it was, was that the first the first record that, yeah that how strange innocence record and it was just yeah. like i remember listening whew, to that it was tough There's some tuning issues <laughs> oh i mean the recording is miserable where i mean yeah i don't there's no tuning at all it's just like like and it's like people like this apparently like it's and there's something about it i mean i like it too because it's like a it's like a it's like you're a, your child i mean of course but it's just like wow like that was a long time ago and I guess at the time we thought this was awesome. <laughs> and I, that's interesting to me that like, 
you're always trying to find that. Like, you're trying to, like, man, this is incredible. Yeah. And then years later, you're like, oh, well, it was pretty good. It clearly means your work's not done. I mean... That's how I feel about it. I guess Fugazi may well have said to themselves, well, we kind of did what we set out to do. And I've had moments like that. You know, you've got to all grow together, haven't you? Like, mm-hmm. like any relationship, you know, you've got to accept that people change and the nature of a band changes and mm-hmm. people's lives change. But it's still an important part of what you do and you're still trying to find something through it. Yeah, yeah and that's kind of the biggest challenge is having four people who are all kind of running the show together to like to come to agreement on anything is just like you know those are the kind of things just like oh my god like all right just calm down like this is it's not so bad like you this is still way better than like a real job <laughs> like, like, but you know that that's the challenge but that's kind of the blessing and the curse of it is like constantly have a negotiate to all come to some sort of agreement on a song or mm-hmm. anything really. And uh, I still feel like we can get better, which I think is a good thing. Whereas Fugazi, and again, I don't know how they all feel about their records, but like you can kind of listen to all the records and I sort of feel like, man, they had it from the beginning. Like I, they just had it together. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that on this record, they went in to do some stuff with Steve Albini yeah. and then sort of scrapped it. But I think that's more from the point of view of, as he tells it, they were sort of demoing. They weren't quite there with the record. They ended up with more songs than they planned to record with him. Mm-hmm. And he just said they weren't quite finished. So that's why they... They're online. I actually mm-hmm. listened to them yeah. not that long ago. And yeah, they sound... Before I heard them, I was like, oh, are th- is this going to be in on the Kill Taker with like a Steve Albini yeah. sound. And the it's not sound. really, it no. sounds like a demo. I mean, it sounds like yeah. demos. And he says that, and he yeah. says they did the absolute right thing. They should totally have, you know, he even says, I don't think it was my finest moment mm-hmm. as a recording engineer. So yeah, it's, uh, I guess they weren't quite ready. But that, again, that's the process that yeah. we've all been through. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to cap it all off. Um, going to play sweet and low because that's how they ended their shows and i wonder if that's probably how the last show maybe yeah, that was the, the final song so they it's played together gonna be the last song on this podcast um fugazi a great important band of our times probably will never see you on stage again no but i'm gonna mention every member of the band because this is a four-piece band where every every person is important ian mckay Guy picciotto right yeah Joe Lally, Brendan Canty, four people really working towards a, a single goal. And uh, this is what it sounded like, Sweet and Low, Fugazi. Mm-hmm. 